So this is a continuation of last week's episode. And just a quick recap, this is a really deep episode, some deep material, and there's quite a bit of background noise, unfortunately. So it is recommended that you save this episode for when you can focus more on it and so you won't miss out on any important material. Also, as stated in part one of this episode, since this is really advanced material, it's recommended if you're kind of new to some of these memory techniques and mnemonic techniques that you go back and listen to some of the past mnemonic episodes and educators first. Get that background, get the foundation down first, and then come to these. Otherwise, some of the material he covers is just going to be a little bit mind-blowing. We covered a lot of it in the first one, and it's really focused on how to remember a million items and the unique techniques that Dr. Golden Touch can implement that most other resources I've never heard these from before. So it's really cool. In this, we're also going to cover some new topics like training yourself in synesthesia. And if you're not sure what that is, you'll find out soon. Not something you would think could be taught, but really, really interesting. We also had a dropped call at the very end. So if the audio quality kind of shifts there, that's why no big deal. It doesn't really disrupt the flow of the episode at all. So here's number two with Dr. Lev Golden Touch. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Medical Menemist Podcast, your source for memory techniques and accelerated learning in higher education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. A term that you mentioned earlier, and I think it was an association to larger mind maps, and you said something like mind cities, or what was... Mind cities and mind forests are two methods that I developed personally. They appear only in my uh, masterclass, which is paid and not very cheap. And they allow you to remember up to one million of... Most of the methods that are used today allow you to remember up to 1,000 objects, 2,000 objects. Most of the memory championships stop at 2,000 objects. There is no point going beyond that. When you learn something from your, from your books, from your reading, for your own use, then you might need more than 1,000 or 2,000 objects. And then you need somewhat uh, more scalable approach. So I take it three zeros above 1,000. Wow. Yeah, I guess you have to develop tools to suit the need. So if a memory championship has a certain need, a certain limitation, then the tools are going to be associated with that. But when you're talking about complex materials, such as an entire degree or something to that aspect, you need a much more robust technique. So can you describe a little bit about how that works or how it compares to memory palace or mind mapping and uh, similar techniques? It's uh, about using the same uh, two techniques in a different combination. Memory cities is like city planning where each of the houses is a mental palace. So it's uh, like a mind map where you place mental palaces within. And mental forests are just the opposite. Uh, you have like different trees where each tree is a mind map and you place those trees in a forest where you can walk by, which is actually a mental palace. So I'm just reusing the tools that uh, should be already known with uh, some minor modifications which allows them to be better used together. That sounds like it would easily become so complex that it could be overwhelming for a, a learner. How do you keep track of something like that? Or what type of rehearsal practice do you use? Well, that's a very good question. 
Usually I use very, very simple uh, techniques. When I need to really remember something, I write it down in a long list, like three words which remind me of that, which is my uh, so-called anchor marker. And then when I uh, want to review the subjects that I needed to remember or needed to do, I go over those three words and try to memorize or to remember recall the entire process or the entire idea that I had to deal with. And now we do it in different time intervals. So I do it the next day. I review the aspects of the day that was before. And then probably several months later, I will review the entire list of aspects that had to do with a certain project. And then maybe a year after, I will review the issues that I didn't complete or the issues that I uh, marked for myself to study later. And this way I will remember a lot of stuff for a lot of time. Wow. Okay, so to compare it to a practice that a lot of medical students use is quite frequently they'll use a program like Anki flashcards because of the built-in space repetition, but they'll put regular no-card flashcard material on there and then review it the next day, review it in a few days, in a few weeks, and then whatever material they're having trouble with, they can review more frequently. But this sounds like something that could either replace or at least supplement that material, adding a, a visual to the flashcard or to the topic. For me, it's faster than Enki, and it allows me to view several aspects at once. With flashcards, you get to view one flashcard at a time. And when I have the aspects in a list, I can review like five of them at the same time. So I run several videos in front of me. Wow. Even having trouble comprehending how that would work, but it just sounds so complex and way above my skill level. It's like a picture within picture. You kind of generate several movies, like when you view television and you have 16 or somewhat, give it a number of channels, you can see the entire program and uh, you see all of the channels playing at the same time. This is an advanced technique we do not teach it. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to picture if I was walking through a cartoon or video forest and each tree in the forest is like a, a mind map, but even that would only be as quick as my visualization of walking through could be. And then I'd also be afraid of forgetting a tree here or there or just missing material. To speed it up, you need to be flying through the forest, so you kind of uh, imagine a Halloween setup where you kind of a ghost flying through and not limited by physical dimensions. Then you can uh, go up to review the, the whole landscape and go down to focus on something. Actually, I forgot to mention it in my course, any credit. Uh, so thank you for mentioning it. This is a scoop I need to add it to my own course. I forgot it. It seems like there's a lot of techniques, and I've even read some things in the past that mention using maybe techniques from studying dreams or from cartooning that can really help your creativity. And like you said, flying through the forest as opposed to walking, how a lot of people are used to maybe flying in a dream, or you might see that in a cartoon or a movie of some sort. Uh, do you find that knowledge of maybe the structure or just being used to these types of filmography and media help in memory techniques a lot? That's a good question. There are studies that show that video games help. There are studies that show that uh, different circuits-related uh, stuff helps. For example, juggling or magic or something like that. 
I never did something which had to do with uh, circus stuff. But once I had a student who was a magician, and his visualization and visual memory were far superior to mine. Uh, music also helps. Musicians can, or dancers, can remember long sequences of, um, of objects much more than I can. So, for example, when I take my children, I... Uh, teach them music. I do not teach them speed reading just yet, although they are already in the age where they can learn speed reading and Anna had some sessions with them. I do not yet teach them speed reading per se. That's a good point. Yeah, other skills such as music and just the ability that you have to develop to to produce music and to read music could be beneficial. And I've also read a lot of things regarding being bilingual or multilingual being very useful in this aspect as well. Well, I do not really have something to compare with. I am multilingual, so I'm multilingual for as long as I can remember myself. So it's not the type of... Good point. I guess you can't compare the two. Would you assume then, or from your experience, other people that you've had in your classes... Are they better able to create these visual associations due to being multilingual, such as if I'm monolingual, I only speak English, I might only be able to associate a word or a term with that language I'm used to, whereas someone that's multilingual might be able to find a similar sounding or similar looking word in another language and then find an association there. This is more theoretical than a practical aspect. In a practical life, we have many languages even within English. For example, if you work with computers, you have a special dictionary that you use and if you work with medicine you have a different array of words and objects and aspects and associations and whatever so you do not actually have to be multilingual you just have to be interested in different things okay that's a fair point it is just speculation i suppose i just may have heard that somewhere or just assumed but i guess it'd be hard to prove that is shows that when a person learns a new language, he is more creative and more capable of memorizing things because new languages themselves include building new associations and this area is constantly growing. So you kind of insert your new ideas within something which is active and vibrant and organic. Once you are fixed in a language, then you kind of stop developing it. So studies show that bilinguals stop getting some part at least of their age as long as they stop learning the languages. If you want to actually build up on your language skills, then you need to learn new languages all the time. I'm not sure this is a good way to use your time because you can learn other things and generate different kinds of associations like sports or music or books or whatever you like. So you can do anything and uh, choosing language rather than something else is just your choice. Okay, fair enough. When it comes to chunking or putting several visuals together, are there certain rules that you recommend, such as not being too complex or too simple? Again, this is a very complex subject with uh, several uh, contradicting studies. One of the memory champions used a very simple structure of uh, four objects put on a rectangular grid. And with these four objects, he was very, very quick. So he became a memory champion. He used to put Chinese symbols within the structure. He was a Chinese guy and he used the structure of Chinese language to remember things. Now, you could uh, take larger grids, but then your memorization of the grids will get slower. 
And you can also take each of the points of the grid and dive into it and open it into another grid, building a hierarchy. And then it will be, it will be fast, it will be fine. So the basic grid is like four. But when you work with mind maps, you can do a little bit differently. Because when you look on a simple compass, then you have four directions. But when you look on a clock, you have 12 different hours. So once you start working with a mind map, you can either put it on a compass or equivalent with four directions or put it on a clock with 12 directions. And then you can choose where to put a clock and where to put a compass and so on. So it clearly depends on the materials that you are working with. Is it worthwhile to chunk more or just to take everything and put it both force into one structure? It's, it's uh, somewhat complex and it's an art. I think that either way will work if you're good enough. Yeah, this is definitely a mixture of an art and a skill. And I think one of the most common complaints I get from students and what I had myself was, I need more examples. I need more proof of doing it this way versus doing it that way, or uh, an example of using this technique versus that technique or combining them. And especially with something as complex as medicine already, it seems like that my personal thought is that there's never going to be enough to satisfy students. You really need to like develop some sort of network community and be able to bounce ideas back and forth. We tried it several times. It didn't really work. So we will continue trying, but we need to crack the system to hack it. I don't know how to do it yet. I have a Facebook page for the Medical Anemonist Mastermind group, and there are a lot of people in the group, but very few that are actively participating. So it's hard to develop that community. I suppose you need a much larger following, but it's difficult for sure. As the issue is engaging, and I don't know how to generate the uh, the community is not a problem. People are eager to actually be there, but not really eager to contribute. So there should be some kind of uh, incentive to contribute. And this is something which needs to be hacked. And, uh, I did not uh, hack it myself yet. Yeah, oh, that's very true. I need to study up more on some of these social media and uh, community developing build your tribe type of stuff. Use whatever techniques they are and implement them. Well, I uh, kind of uh, have this uh, knowledge, uh, but uh, it still didn't help me. It, it has to do with creativity and starting from the right idea and developing it into the right direction. Simply trying to test different techniques didn't help me. Wow. All right. Another couple of topics that I thought about that are probably extremely advanced for the current audience as they are for me as well. One of them had to do with the markers you create having certain either emotional tone, maybe that's color-based, or having different textures to them. How have you used that in the past? This is called synesthesia, and this is a big subject in psychology. The issue started from people who mix different senses, and once they mix different senses, they became more successful. So if you look for synesthesia, then you suddenly find out that most of the people who reported synesthesia were famous people. And then uh, people kind of started to develop the synesthesia for themselves. And uh, this is a skill that can be acquired. Uh, it can be acquired in uh, very different ways, depending on where you start and what kind of person you are. And uh, sometimes it is just best to use what comes naturally for you. So if, uh, for example, you are cooking and you love cooking, then people start uh, feeling tastes 
with their ideas. And people who love music, I have many musicians in my courses, they hear music or they seem to see different vapors and the colors and effects when hearing music. So this is just mixing different senses to create a more engagement of the brain. The more brain power you can allocate to some subjects, the better you are. And before studying some of these memory techniques, the only time I'd heard synesthesia was in association with hallucinogenics, such as LSD or hallucinogenic mushrooms. Your senses are getting mixed up. And I had not heard before that this is a potentially trainable skill set. That seems ridiculous to me like there's no way i can teach myself to do that there was an article in science or nature i don't remember like two years ago which wrote on like uh, one thousand of people that seeing different letters in different colors for enough time works there were different studies where people used to play musical instruments and each key had a certain color and after a while, they would associate the sound with the color. So this is definitely trainable to some degree. We do not yet know the limitations. I'll have to look into that more. Actually, no, I need to take your and Anne's class first and then maybe look into something like that. Now that uh, I think we've covered most of the questions I have for memory markers or um, associations, as I've previously been calling visual markers, but we haven't covered too much depth about speed reading. So would you mind covering some of that material, what people can start with and what type of progress they can expect? Speed reading and productivity are kind of uh, tough subjects because you have to balance so many things. With memory, you just need to be creative and everything will work out for you. With speed reading, you need to be really accurate, uh, like uh, different kinds of cooking. So when you come to speed reading, you have a certain way of uh, learning different skills. And you need to learn them in that way. Otherwise, you will not be able to learn them again with uh, equal accuracy. And people are impatient and people are jumping back and forth. Some people are not confident enough to continue on their own. So it's really something where coaching helps. And there are very few people who can help with that. And I don't know anyone but Anna who is successful with that. Now, the concept starts from uh, being good at remembering things. Then at the next stage, you need kind of to remember everything that you read because you need to understand what it means to understand something so that if later you will stop understanding something, you will be able to catch yourself. So we increase your understanding to the maximum and we do allow some very minor degradation as you speed up, but minor degradation only. Uh, reading and remembering everything is a little bit uh, tiresome. And this is something that people do for a couple of weeks. Then they want to start reading faster. Uh, they can start reading faster and still remember everything. And then there is a limit which is called the vocalization limit. At some point, we are able to say things aloud and remember them. And then it's easy to understand. We can say things in our head faster than our body can move. So we can speed up a little bit. But then we come up with uh, some kind of information barrier. So to overcome this barrier, your understanding needs to be purely visual. And uh, 
this is also something that we do. Now, to get to purely visual understanding, you do need some kind of brainstorming before that. So we do teach pre-reading or something like that so that you can generate this brainstorming so later you can understand something from purely visual understanding of things. And then you start visualizing everything that you read automatically. Once you get there, your reading speed is about uh, eight times higher than the reading speed of a regular person. But uh, to really go above that, you need to train your eyes uh, certain techniques of how to move on the page. If your eyes are jumping, your eyes will get tired very fast. If you do not move well enough, if your peripheral uh, vision is not wide enough, you will not be able to cover enough. Once your eyes can uh, move uh, fast enough, you can uh, probably read at uh, 1,000 words per minute, maybe more. The next limits are harder to overcome and we do not teach it. Okay, so that makes sense why you would want to study some of the memory techniques first, because it doesn't matter how quickly you read if you can't retain the information. And then from there, it seems like one of the first things you probably want to do is, well, I guess sit down and focus and visualize the text uh, beforehand, but then you would start to implement some of the actual eye techniques next, such as saccadic reading. Well, uh, we did that for a while. There are several techniques. One is called skimming. The other is called scanning. In skimming, your eyes jump or saccade from one position to another. It takes about 0.2 seconds. And during the time, you're kind of blind and read from the memory. The other thing is scanning, which is a more advanced technique where your eyes do not jump but uh, flow through the page and uh, you need to compensate the motion sickness in some way so your brain needs to be a little bit more developed and trained and we do not really teach them we just mention it usually people come to it after a year of practice and at that point you can uh, just glide through the text without jumping and you can also read things from your memory like photographing a page this is something that you can do after a year or two of uh, practice and this is what allows you to go to the next level now at that level you kind of start uh, losing information because you cannot compress information faster. So you really need to compress information better and focus on innovative stuff and so on. And then we use synesthesia because otherwise we cannot push past that level. Okay. Wow. Let's see. From all those different techniques, once you learn those, there are also some techniques I've read about from your book or on the blog that uh, I think you have some training material on the website for this as well, such as the Schultz tables, which are supposed to help you widen your peripheral vision. And I, I've read so many conflicting documents in the past about being able to read from your peripheral vision that you need the fovea focused on a certain area. What have you found regarding those topics? First of all, it depends on your distance from the page and your actual eyesight. Some people uh, need a large distance and some people need to be very close to the page. And also the font needs to change accordingly. So uh, when speed reading on digital media, it can be an advantage. When reading with paper, it can be limited. Now, the resolution 
decreases as you go from the foveal area. So you will kind of catch less. And as you widen your perception of the reality, like uh, see the different things uh, around, you understand that you really see the fine details only in front of you. But sometimes you just do not need the fine details. It's enough to get a glimpse of it. Most words have very distinct shape. So maybe you will not be able to recognize a specific letter, but you will recognize the shape of the word, like I or V or some other words. And then you kind of recognize the words as words. Words are bigger than letters, so you can um, push more words inside you. Okay, so there's big differences from digital reading and analog, but also just every individual, how their eyes work, maybe are shaped, uh, how their brain interprets what they're seeing in the parafoveal and peripheral vision. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not a simple one-size-fits-all. Actually, the training is very similar in uh, each case. So we just give people the shoulders table and ask them to learn. And at the same time, we ask them to apply the same techniques as they read. Now, we trust the people... Uh, instinctively to adopt the right technique for their physique because otherwise they will get tired. All right. Then my last question for speed reading topic is I remember that you recommend reading aloud. I believe it was in the book, but I could be mistaken. Why do you recommend reading aloud? What are the benefits of doing that when you're trying to increase your... I'm not sure if it was associated with the memory or the comprehension, but that was in there somewhere. Well, there are several aspects to it. Uh, one of the aspects is that uh, you kind of uh, generate um, synesthesia between seeing the word and hearing it. And this is good for long-term memory. You kind of have differ two different or more than two different uh, channels which encode the same information. So you can easily correct errors from one channel using another channel. And this is uh, really scientifically proven. Now, uh, does it improve reading speed? Um, this is a good question. Sometimes with uh, words that we want to visualize, it is good to have them uh, read out aloud because then we get better visualization. Once we generate a dictionary, if we have a good visualization in our visual dictionary, we can reuse it very effectively. When you're reading aloud, you're firing neurons for optic channels, but also for your verbal channels of your brain. So associating those together could potentially make a stronger link. But as you said, yeah, it wouldn't be great for speed reading because that's where most people are stuck at 200, 250 words per minute on average, because that's a how fast most people read, or so I've heard. Uh, well, yeah, to some degree you're right. Uh, several aspects which can be addressed separately, but I think that are, they are far beyond the scope of this conversation. Fair enough. I think we've covered a lot of topics that are far beyond the scope of what I'm used to implementing. And <laughs> Yeah, you kind of push me into the advanced materials when we could go to something much simpler. I mean, now uh, we have uh, like half an hour to discuss different things, maybe go back to us. You ask me some specific uh, questions that you have as a student of several uh, very good teachers for speed reading and memory techniques, and I went into my details as being a practitioner, but most of your readers or listeners or whatever will uh, prefer something which is uh, more down to us, try to reduce the technical level of the discussion, asking less complex questions. 
Yeah, I, I suppose it was a little selfish of me doing that, but I know we've covered some basic techniques from other individuals in past episodes, but maybe not to uh, the same way that you would explain it. So I figured it was a unique experience for myself and for the audience to maybe get some more advanced uh, techniques just to see what some of the possibilities might be in the future. Some of these techniques are not even documented. So it's just techniques that I use. I do plan to document some stuff, but it takes time. When you become more productive, you kind of want to do more. So you're never productive enough. This is something which is uh, very good to remember. People who start speed reading, they say, well, I'm not reading fast enough, I'm not productive enough, and so on. And then after they triple or quadruple their reading speed, they often have the same feeling. So the psychological aspects are different from the technical aspects, and they also need to be addressed. Would it be proper to cover, maybe, we usually end it with resources that are recommended, but since we've covered so many already from your own materials, are there other resources that you know are very popular that you uh, are familiar with enough that you could explain the differences, maybe, between theirs and yours? My materials are um, a little bit more advanced. They uh, deal with uh, things that I personally encounter every day. I am a practitioner. I'm not a salesman and not a teacher. And uh, I practice uh, different areas of knowledge. So uh, this is a little bit different perspective than others. For example, um, Jonathan is a very good salesman and he can uh, explain things in a way which is very catchy and uh, exciting. And uh, Anthony is uh, practicing his techniques for so long that uh, he's really inspiring. But this is the main focus of their life. And uh, for me, this is just one of the tools that are used to do other things. So my focus is a little bit different. It's not on the technique itself, but on what I can achieve with the technique. And then once I achieve it, I go back to the technique and modify it. So most of my techniques you will not find anywhere else. I like it. Okay. That, yeah, that does help to clarify how some of the different marketing materials and such that I've seen, and not only competitors, but in your collaborators and past students that you mentioned, how they differ. Because I don't think I would have become as aware of your material if it wasn't initially through them, just due to their you know different ways of marketing and reaching out to people. I'm not that good at marketing. Sorry, this is my limitation. I hope my children will be very good at marketing. This is too early to tell. <laughs> Let them take care of it for you. I know we have a little bit more time here. I think we've covered so much. I have such a huge page of notes here with scribbles on it that if there's anything else to cover, I can't find it. <laughs> um, a lot of the preparation is uh, mental and it's not uh, covered in uh, courses. Like uh, People miss the most basic things like uh, you need to eat well if you want to remember. If you eat junk food, then you just do not get, get enough nutrition or you get the wrong nutrition. If you drink too much coffee, you then do not get uh, focused just in time. Your focus sleeps. It fires either too early or too late. You really need to control your focus. This is basic stuff and people do know this either instinctively or they read about it. 
but it somehow does not connect with them. So once when I started my keto study blog, I started it uh, in a very simple way. Uh, people used to ask certain questions. On my uh, and Jonathan's and we had a common uh, super learning course, uh, people used to ask the same question over and over again. And I simply started to take the most common questions and answers and put them as an article. With time, I started to write about more advanced aspects in more elaborate way. And then I understood that the problem, the main problem of most people is very basic. So now I cover very basic stuff and I try to find new ways to approach the basic stuff, like um, how do you place uh, for yourself your orders and values and your goals. Goal setting is a very simple uh, question. Most people understand what smarter goals should be and how to form those goals. But these goals start to misalign with their personal values. Or these goals start to demand from them more than they can get. Like you have 24 hours a day. If your goals demand from you more than 24 hours a day, then you should modify the goals. You cannot modify your your day. I actually have a subject in one of my courses, which is about to be published this week, which is called having more than 24 hours a day. You do not actually get to have more than 24 hours a day, but you can do several things at the same time if the things are low intensity. So I go much deeper into the basic productivity stuff, the basic mental training, because people get stuck there. The complex issues of memory and speed reading, they are very technical and people uh, tend to grasp them really well. But uh, the more basic and simple stuff is something that avoids most of us. It avoided me for many years. And if you don't do proper preparation, then it's going to be very that much more difficult to start focusing on and developing these techniques. You can uh, always do it later. I mean, if you miss something, it's not such a big deal. You can always improve. Uh, the focus on constant improvement is just one of those basic subjects. If you think that you're bad at something, then maybe you didn't have enough relevant experience or related experience. With time, we get more and more experience. We can go back and do the things that we were not very good at. For example, I was very bad at dancing when I was uh, a young boy, and I didn't think that I would ever be able to dance coherent. But then I had several different experiences with music, with horse riding, and so on. And um, once I discussed dancing with Anna, it was like uh, hearing horse riding from the point of view of the horse. So I could immediately connect to it, and I could apply similar uh, techniques and ideas. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I, <laughs> I can see how that would be uh, useful. There's a, a last segment that I usually finish off with called Just Three Wishes. Um, where I asked three questions that one is going to be in particularly interesting from your point of view, but they can be as elaborate or as simple as you want, but it's really just to uh, develop some creativity about these subjects, which relate to the podcast. Would you be willing to do these three wishes? No, I think that I do not have a choice right now. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, the first one, which is going to be interesting from your uh, memory standpoint, is Is there anything you wish that you could remember better? Everything. <laughs> Everything. With memories, there are different aspects. Uh, some of the aspects actually deal with forgetting things better. 
So occasionally I put in my advanced materials on my blog uh, different techniques which allow you to forget traumatic experiences and stuff like that. You kind of override them with uh, modifications until they become positive or disappear completely. And everybody has traumatic experiences. But other than that, everything that uh, I um, read I do not remember it as well as I would like. And this is very common. This is normal not to remember everything. Otherwise, we would not be able to function. Well, it sounds like you're also always looking for extra productivity, always looking for better memory. You're, you're an extreme enthusiast. <laughs> Mm, that's a good question. I do not feel that I'm an extreme enthusiast. It's um, First of all, optimization is a very good game to play. To enjoy our lives, we play games. And uh, some games help us and some games can destroy us. Optimization is a game which can be dangerous, but usually it is very beneficial. So yeah, optimization is a game that I like to play. Okay. Uh, the the next question, which actually would be very interesting because we haven't mentioned it yet on the show, but you guys also developed this uh, super learners for children type of course. So it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on this. Um, if there's one thing about education that you could change, what would it be? Education is uh, very limited because it has to deal with so many different things. If, if we could just uh, merge the education methodology to the specific case, would be immensely beneficial. I guess we need some kind of an advanced AI to do that. Maybe once the computer will rolls the world, this will happen. But uh, I do think that the education should be personalized and individualized. Mm, good point. I think that would probably be most easily done through uh, some sort of online, not necessarily in-course type of setting. Uh, online setting is very limited because you do not get enough of personal connection and you do not get enough of uh, active time. So maybe study groups are more suitable for that, like uh, extracurricular courses. This, uh, these are the things that uh, kids do and enjoy doing. They meet together, they study something that they love, that they, they improve in that. Once they have uh, to put 30 children into one cramped class and have to teach all of them the same things during the same hour, during the same hours of the day, it's very much like a sort of elaborate prison. I'm not sure to which extent we can make it uh, really personalized and special because some people are just uh, too boring and uh, will not progress as well as they could. But yeah, I believe that it should be more personalized. Wow, yeah, that's a huge problem to tackle and probably would require major changes in technology and even more importantly, society. The last question is, if there's one thing you could change in medicine, what would it be? Medicine is undergoing huge uh, change from the point of view of technology. The doctors are getting very specialized in uh, specific disciplines. And they become all scientists. And um, often computers do the rest. Doctors used to be very good at psychology, at reading people and uh, at understanding what the people really need. Sometimes the problem is psychological, it's not medical. And uh, pressing the person through city and giving the person some education will not usually cure the problems. So I would really like of doctors which are more human. Well, I seem to hear similar types of comments from a few past interviews. It's something that I guess there's a lot of complexity from the ground up from the educational standpoint to 
how they practice and how the current market and, and society allows them to practice. Another very, very difficult topic, which is why I love hearing everyone's unique perspectives on these questions. My perspective comes from the technological point of view. As I develop new technologies, I see the pressures that it puts on doctors. And um, I see the amount of information each doctor needs to master in order to be the best in his field. Nobody can be very good in multiple fields. So this, uh, this is a kind of a problem. I can't agree more. So for the audience, I know we've mentioned many times uh, throughout the podcast and they'll be in the show notes, but what is the best way for anyone to find you and your community? As the best way is just contacting me uh, through, the mail, through my mail or through my blog. So uh, my key to study blog is a very good uh, point to start with. And uh, also my email, it's uh, usually on my blog and I Keep it uh, pretty public. It's uh, info at ketostudy.com. And since I'm capable of reading and writing very fast, I probably will be able to answer as many letters as I will get. That's awesome. A lot of uh, a lot of people, it's difficult for them to keep up with their emails. But I know personally, I've never had an issue with you if I send anything to you over the past year or so. I usually get a pretty good response. So anyone in the audience has a quick question, that's a good way to get a hold of you. Well, uh, I can read about uh, 250, I didn't answer, about 250 emails per hour. So if I get an hour, I usually finish up all of my emails. So we have the blog at keytostudy.com, info at keytostudy.com for your email, and of course your book, The Key to Study Skills. Um, are there any other parting thoughts for current students? There are also my master courses on uh, Thinkific. Just uh, search for Keto Study and you will see many of my materials. And the most important thing is just to keep practicing. There are no limitations. I know of as long as you are confident that you can achieve something and keep practicing. The key to study course is on thinkific.com. Okay, perfect. Yep. And thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for joining, Love. And this has been such an informative uh, meeting. I think this is one that audience, uh, including myself, who's been here the whole time, is going to have to listen to it maybe more than once to get all of the salient points from it. But I really appreciate your time and sitting down and joining us for this show today. Thank you very much. And uh, I really want to have uh, more than one podcast interview because uh, medical students are very important. Medical students are very interested in memory. They're very good students, and the course really helps them very well. So it's a really good match. That's great. We'll definitely have you back on, especially after getting some feedback from these episodes, and maybe we can uh, sort of use that to organize material for a future episode. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care.